You uh, ready to go? Yep. Welcome to Behind the Yellow Boxes, your one-stop comics history podcast. I'm Steph, your co-host and friendly neighborhood archivist. And I'm Brooke, your not-so-daggone-it. <laughs> <laughs> you messed up your intro. I know. Boxes, your one-stop comics history podcast. I'm Steph, your co-host and friendly neighborhood archivist. And I'm Brooke, your not-so-friendly, self-declared comics expert. We're two comic nerds with a lot of opinions, and we think it's important to know your history if we want to understand why comics are the way they are. And sometimes comics are so bad their infamy tends to precede them. Sometimes a comic is predicated over not listening to your elderly relative's end-of-life care plan and instead selling your marriage to the devil. And I cannot emphasize enough the cosmic shenanigans that had to occur in order for Steph and I to come together again for a new podcast, our first Spider-Man podcast with me, a very opinionated spider connoisseur, and it be one more freaking day. (laughs) You know, if anything was going to bring us back from our unexpected hiatus for which, hey, we apologize, I moved across country and started a new job, and uh, Brooke had some tornado dodging to do. It's true. Um... Just when uh, it seemed like Steph was settled, I happened to live in the worst uh, tornado zone and kind of was out without power for a few days, though my family was very fortunate and my immediate community was very fortunate. We'll have a link in the show notes for how you can support the the Kentucky the Kentucky area that was affected because that really was a genuinely horrible tragedy and it's still uh, it's still affecting us pretty badly so it really is we are back uh, we're hopefully going to be resuming our uh, biweekly schedule uh, it, uh, and we are coming back on the heels of the first movie since the pandemic began to make a billion dollars. And we are here to talk about one of the storylines, which I was so delighted to inform Brooke that I had learned one of the storylines which had informed this story. Uh, You know, but instead, I thought we could talk about another storyline that seems to have influenced uh, No Way Home. Yeah, so um, No Way Home, which continues the naming convention of all Tom Holland Spider-Man movies having home in the title for some reason, happens to uh, facelift the storyline of One More Day. Quite easily one of the most controversial Spider-Man stories of all time. Which is saying something because Spider-Man stories... And I say this with love, they have a tendency to go off the flipping rails. Spider-Man stories have been controversial since Gwen Stacy wore a very particular outfit and fell off a bridge. Yep. It's not surprising that the MCU, which tends to pick storylines more for name recognition than for actual utility, because... 
They tend... <coughs> civil. Civil war. <coughs> civil war. Yeah. They t- seem to be more interested in picking storylines just to get some of the uh, fans talking and building up hype, positively and negatively, more than uh, the story itself. But it leaves the question of what makes One More Day stick out so much uh, in the Spider-Man canon and why people have such strong opinions about it to this very day. I came into comics at a rather unusual time in that the storylines that I was being directed to by people who I knew who were introducing me to stories were almost universally older stories. Um, But one of the things that was very notable when I entered Uh, comics fandom and comic readership generally was that everyone was telling me to avoid Spider-Man right then because of the aftermath of One More Day. It was one of the first Spider-Man comics I heard of. Yeah, so Steph and I uh, come into comics from kind of opposite ends of the spectrum because I was from a comic reading family, which I kind of had the background because if there was a character that popped up, because again, uh, my childhood was... Uh, pre-internet 2.0 when I would come across a character I didn't recognize I could ask my dad and most of the time he could explain it to me like in a brief summary that was really easy uh, for me to digest and move on with whatever comic I was reading which kind of gave me this huge basis of knowledge for characters that I hadn't necessarily met yet uh, before you could just pull up a Wikipedia article over that character uh, which I'm sure has had no influence on how uh, I consume media to this day. Uh, I've having having known you for years. Uh, no, not at all. No, no, none, none whatsoever. For me, Spider-Man wasn't just like a comic book to follow. It was genuinely like a multimedia presence that is hard for me to really explain to people. I was growing up reading the comics during the '90s, which was bombastic as can be. Uh, you, there was, I think at one time, there was like 10 different uh, S- Spider-Man appearing titles. I would get like one magazine uh, or one uh, comic book uh, every other week when we went to the grocery store. And I would just have to pick which Spider-Man I was going to get that week. And have to fill <laughs> in the pieces as best I could with either uh, what I was able to borrow from friends or... When we were walking around the com- or walking around the grocery store, I used to flip through uh, the comics as quickly as possible so that uh, I would get like an idea of what was going on uh, that month, and then I would just pick the comic that I liked the art for best. There was the Spider-Man '90s cartoon, which was really popular at the time, and then uh, when I was uh, nine years old, uh, the first of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies came out. So it was like Spider-Man Palooza uh, when I was a kid, and I was sucked up into it. And by the time I was old enough to go to a comic book store on my own after school, without my parents' knowledge, I started uh, skipping lunches every day uh, at school (laughs) to save up the money that I was supposed to use for lunch, and then I would buy a comic book every week. So... (laughs) And if I were you starving yourself in the name of Spider-Man comics? Yeah. So, (laughs) so, uh, I started doing that. 
uh, around this time too. And this was also during the time when uh, Spider-Man's cells had, I guess, slightly dipped, or at least the comic boom had affected Spider-Man's cells enough that there was no longer, like, Peter Parker Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, uh, do you like that I'm able to actually list most of those off the top of my head? Spectacular Spider-Man. I'm, I was mostly just thinking, like, waiting for you to reveal that you had made one of those up. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's the unfortunate part. So I start following along Spider-Man in the time. I I can't even explain how big the Spider-Man movies were. Like, people credit, rightfully so, Blade and the X-Men movies for bringing back the superhero genre. Sam It also gave them the incent it gave them the incentive to actually secure the rights for Spider-Man to do a yes. Spider-Man live action movie properly. As we kind of touched on in the bankruptcy saga, they wanted to make a Spider-Man movie for ages. They just couldn't untangle the yeah. complicated web pun intended yeah, that yeah, they yeah. had accidentally made of the rights. And say what you will about the Sam Raimi movies. Sam Raimi is, without a doubt, like, I'm pretty sure the first guy who was given a comic book movie project who was just genuinely a comic book nerd. (laughs) I, I mean, I think to this day, he's one of the only people who, like, you know, was having fun with it. Oh, for like, sure. Just every, like, you know, like once a frickin' week, a new thing comes out where the Russo brothers are like, oh yeah, we hate this character, we hate this character, we really thought this character, we couldn't remember this character, so we decided to kill them. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I think the quote I saw most recently was them comparing Loki to Scrappy-Doo and that's why they killed him. It was a great time to grow up as a Spider-Man fan, which means I was reading almost exclusively Marvel until about 2003. And in 2003, I also started reading DC. So I was already sort of moving in the DC-ish direction. Uh, but I was holding on to Spider-Man and Spider-Girl, to be fair. Uh, probably more Spider-Girl than even Spider-Man. But I was I was, ho- I was, was still holding on to my affection for those characters and that part, that chunk of the Marvel Universe. For us to understand one more day, I'm going to have to lay out a few things. For context. And I can help and I can help with this part. And then I get to serenade Steph with actual plot of one more day from start to finish. So just to, for those who have managed to avoid too much Spider-Man media over the years, Spider-Man is one of the superhero characters. His impact on popular culture cannot possibly be overstated hell he's the reason i introduced myself as friendly neighborhood archivist friendly neighborhood spider-man that was the other title i was forgetting (laughs) (laughs) spider-man is up there with superman batman wonder woman and captain america in terms of characters whose comics were so instantly iconic that everything else has been trying to emulate reference or bounce off him ever since uh he was created uh by steve ditko and stan lee there's some other possible influences floating around him 
that could be discussed at length, but we'll most we'll stick with the Steve Ditko Stan Lee combo for now. Uh, and he was so remarkably popular as a character that he not only had his prodigious multiple comic books that Brooke mentioned earlier, but he also had an ongoing newspaper comic strip running in syndication for years to come. And uh, as we kind of very briefly touched on in our Jack Kirby episode, a syndicated comic strip was very prestigious and made a lot of money. Spider-Man's rights as a character are extremely valuable, which is why he is still owned by Sony, despite being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the movies. And it is generally one of the most recognizable and widely beloved properties anywhere. When we're looking at a character like this, it's not surprising that he's had some very infamously bad storylines or just even just infamously controversial storylines. What is surprising about this particular one and actually a lot of Spider-Man's infamously bad stories is the amount of doubling down Marvel tends to do after what is commonly accepted as a misstep with the character. They don't like to undo problems that they make with Spider-Man. Marvel does like do retcons less than DC, so they do have more of a if every everything is canon and we can't just get rid of a bad decision easily like DC can, but they, you know, they have found ways to work around things. Like um a very popular retcon explanation is that some character that was acting oddly was Mystique or uh, th- or if clones were involved, life model decoy, or like, you know, Nick Fury was blackmailing them. They have a lot of different potential explanations that they have used over the years to explain storylines away. Uh, they don't tend to do that with Spider-Man storylines. Uh, Brooke is very right. They tend to double down and they tend to uh, reemphasize the things and insist that like, you know, no, it was actually the right decision or try to give it some sort of weird cosmic explanation, like uh, a lot of unfortunate things that have happened over the years. They try to say, oh, well, it was because of XYZ's thing. My personal favorite is the spider pheromones that make Spider-Man and Cindy Moon have sex. All right. <sighs> Listen, I've, I, when, you, when you grow really attached to a new character, and then you go to the wiki to find out what her origins were, and if there's, like, you know, something you want to read about her origins, and then you find that explanation staring back at you in the face, and you go, I'm gonna just walk away now and not deal with that emotionally. I think at least part of the problem when it comes to Spider-Man is the same problem Marvel has with backtracking on X-Men decisions they make over the years. If you ever wonder why it seems like they give second, third, fourth, fifth chances on uh, justifying things that Captain America does or Iron Man does or any of their other staple characters do, you know, while they're willing to just let famous and popular characters like uh, Spider-Man, Cyclops, most of the X-Men, you know, just sort of sink into... Uh, their canon bad decisions, part of it is a lot of those explanations Steph get, life model decoys, uh, Nick Fury, uh, Mystique, all these things, it involves a wider universe. And pretty much from the beginning of these properties, 
X-Men and Spider-Man have both been sort of on the fringes. Not that they won't appear and cross over a million times with other characters, but they tend to want their storylines to be insular. It's still hilarious, though, because Mystique is an X-Man character. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But see, that is one of the situations where they can blame the X-Men for something. So therefore, it gets a pass. At the time, Spider-Man was actually having a bit of a renaissance. After the comics boom and the 90s clone saga and a bunch of other stuff, uh, it kind of felt as though... Uh, Marvel was looking for a way to revitalize Spider-Man and, you know, get fans back on board. So they ended up hiring a uh, famous sci-fi writer, J. Michael Straczynski, it, who uh, was then on a dedicated Spider-Man run that lasted several years preceding Civil War. And J. Michael Straczynski's run is, to this day, still one of the most fan-beloved runs of Spider-Man to date. Uh, he was responsible for a lot of ideas that are genuine, genuinely uh, ingenious and uh, helped evolve the character, and yet also brought the character back to a state that was recognizable to older fans who were kind of missing, you know, the, the glory days of Spider-Man, so to say. So J. Michael Straczynski kind of went with the Marvel model of we're not going to go backwards with the characters. The characters have to move forwards. But there is a way that we can sort of like inform the future from the past. In the opinion of a lot of fans at the time and still to this day is that Peter Parker kind of peaked in high school, which is a oof. Yeah, which is a horrible way to, <laughs> to think about it. But if I was considered by the world to have peaked in high school, I would never be seen again. Exactly. Because I live in horror remembering things I said, did, and witnessed in high school. And I would rather disappear forever than be known primarily by my accomplishments in high school. And part of that is just when you think about like classic Spider-Man, a lot of the stuff that people still think about and still refer to were established during his high school years. You know, going to school every day and having school drama sort of like overlap with his... Uh, with his daily superhero life drama. Romance uh, dodecadons that used to occur between him and his supporting characters. Flash Thompson being a bully, uh, but also endearing and kind of becomes your best friend. Uh, Harry Osborn being kind of like the troubled friend that makes uh, the whole Norman situation more awkward. And of course, the MJ and Gwen love triangle that they had been trying for years to resurrect sometimes literally oh, uh you mean face it tiger you just hit the jackpot <laughs> yes so so there was a lot of people that just wanted more than anything for spider-man to be in high school again even though peter had well enough long ago graduated from college and was in a master's program at various times by uh, the 2000s. So J. Michael Straczynski looked at uh, what people were wanting, and he said, what people really want is for Peter to have built off of these past things that they loved about his character. They want to be rewarded for knowing and remembering, you know, those relationships and that development. 
and they're not seeing it in the current runs of Spider-Man. Even if you're a filthy Clone Saga defender like I am, uh, you will have to admit that that period of time and the time preceding, or the time following it, uh, Spider-Man wasn't really connected to those characters anymore. His uh, supporting cast had mostly changed. His and the things that did stick around were so old and tired that it was actually reviled by the fans when Aunt May once again was talking about how she didn't like Spider-Man and J. Jonah was being J. Jonah and there was just like there was nothing there. JMS run started with okay we're going to put Peter back into these positions he was when he was in when he was in high school but he's going to be the aged and matured Peter that he is today. And in order to do that that meant that Peter was no longer a high school student, he was a high school teacher. And he was a high school teacher at his old high school. Uh, so when he was dealing with a lot of the same problems uh, teenagers were facing with that day, he was coming at it not as the student in the thick of it, but as the teacher who was wanting to reach out and be a helping hand, who wanted to sort of guide students through the worst of their problems because he'd been there before. You also got to see development in his relationships. I mentioned Flash, that was a big development, but it was also one that had been ongoing in the comics for years. The biggest relationships that Peter was getting revitalized were between him and the most important women in his life, uh, which were, of course, uh, his aunt, Mary, and Mary Jane. So Aunt May, at this point, uh, was still had still been the Aunt May that she always was, but what JMS started to do is Shock of all shocks, I know. Uh, Aunt May started to have character development. <gasps> I know. I didn't know that was legal. I know. Uh, so what ended up happening is over a period of time through the run, Aunt May got to learn that Peter was Spider-Man. Oh, shit. Which, other than, you know, else, other than what-if stories and the occasional amnesia plot to follow, this had never been really something that was established and kept with long-term. So, and the thing was, is the fallout from her learning this was uh, mortifying for both of them because it completely changed everything. May, who had, of course, first been very supportive of Peter in Mary Jane and Peter's separation, which I'll get back to, then got to see the other side of it. What was it that had driven Mary Jane away for a time being? Oh, yeah, I can kind of see that a little bit better now, because before, <laughs> it just seemed like uh, she had left Peter for no reason and was acting like Peter was stressing her out over nothing. Um, May suddenly realized all the horrible danger Peter was in all the time. And, most importantly, uh, the, the Daily Bugle's most supportive reader suddenly realized that she had been writing in and supporting a newspaper for years that was slandering the person she loved more than anybody else in the world. And it was like a, a shock. Like, they went 
a long time without even talking to each other because May was just so upset and disappointed and angry and hurt. Did May find out about Uncle Ben? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So Oof. It was a it, so it was a huge deal, and it was treated like one in the comics. Like it was a multiple issue arc for May and Peter to have to re-examine their relationship and eventually come back together and become stronger and closer to each other than ever. And of course, there was Mary Jane. Mary Jane Watson was never meant to be Peter's soulmate. Well, um, that's because people have no taste. It's true. And leading that charge, of course, was Stan Lee, who quite literally had basically designed MJ as just to be the rival love interest to uh, Gwen. Like, all the way to the point that, like, I'm pretty sure there's entire scenes from the Stan Lee run of Spider-Man that are just stolen from Archie comics but made more dramatic because it's just Veronica and Betty. In Stan Lee's mind, Gwen Stacy was always the only person that was for Peter. And that's part of the reason that he also made a lot of other rival love interests. You've got your Betty Brandt. You've got all sorts of other uh, female characters that just kind of had this revolving door with Peter. But Mary Jane was popular with the fans, so she got to stick around and become part of the friend group. But clearly, Stan wanted to continue to put a... Uh, distance between her and Peter. So she would date Flash, she would date Harry, she would be too much of a party girl. Basically, uh, Stan Lee was using a bunch of stereotypes, and he has said this in interviews, it's not me, like, being uh, too sensitive. He used a lot of stereotypes of loose women and girls that you wouldn't want to take home to your uh, mom uh, to build... MJ's character in hopes of making it such a stark contrast that surely everybody would see that Gwen was the better choice. So when Gwen was killed and Peter and MJ get back together, there was nobody who was more upset about this in the Marvel offices than Stan Lee himself. He did not like this. He did not want them together, which kind of made it a big dick energy move when uh, Jerry Conway uh, decided to go basically go behind Stan's back and not only have Peter and MJ become in-game but go ahead and write their wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he like wait until Stan was on vacation or something Pretty much. to do it? Yeah. <laughs> like and this became a conflict within the Marvel offices for years afterwards. Like, was it the right move? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to write characters that are in a loving, romantic relationship with each other and are already together? You know... Oh, hi, Dan Didio. Uh, you know, just go ahead and completely ignore that Stan Lee himself wrote the first Marvel wedding in history with the Fantastic Four, like, two decades earlier, but whatever. So... <laughs> it became this big fight, and... Basically, every other new head writer for Spider-Man had to address what they considered the Mary Jane problem. And if you were on one side of the Marvel offices or the other, would usually depend on how well you treated MJ. Half of the Marvel offices loved MJ, 
loved the dynamic that they had. And probably more importantly, they, they liked excuses to draw a supermodel posing for pictures. Um, which I MJ mean, did a lot because that was her actual job. Other half of the offices, of course, were on Stan's side. That this was a terrible decision. That this was the worst thing that had ever happened to Spider-Man. And now there was nowhere to go with his character because he wasn't horny on Maine for every other woman now. What ended up happening is that you would have a lot of back and forth. Uh, people would come in. MJ would have a major role as a supporting character in the Spider-Man books. And then a new writer would come in and the opposite would happen. Her and Peter would have a separation. They'd break up. And it would continue like this forever. And sometimes it wasn't even consistent across books. Like we talked about earlier, there were multiple Spider-Man books a month, sometimes a week. And depending on who was writing it, MJ could either be a major part of the same plot or in the next issue that was meant to be a tie-in to the previous issue, uh, she didn't appear at all. Then complicating stuff further you had the 90s cartoon which peter and mj were the only romance uh that really got a surmountable amount of screen time and were in game you know perfect for each other then you had the sam raimi spider-man movies which not only were tremendous blockbusters like some of the best-selling superhero movies of all time to that point but mary jane was the second lead character in these movies. Uh, and Kirsten Dunst became a... Uh, she was already a very popular actress, but this basically cemented her as a household name as Mary Jane. Pretty justified belief in the editorial offices that a Spider-Man comic, after the 2001 release of Spider-Man, a Spider-Man comic that did not feature Mary Jane and their romance was basically going to lose a lot of the new readership that was coming in thanks to the Sam Raimi movies. Is that when we get Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane? Yes. So we start seeing more push for Mary Jane and uh, J. Michael Straczynski's run of Spider-Man also has to address this because he inherited a run where MJ and Peter had all but broken up. They hadn't divorced because, uh, we'll get back to Marvel's opinion on divorces later. Uh, they hadn't divorced, but they had basically separated and broken up and she was living on the other side of the country, making a name for herself in Hollywood. And just like with not wanting to undo Peter's college years and afterwards, JMS didn't want to necessarily undo the development that Peter and MJ had had to that point, even if it was negative, but he did want to move forward with them. So then began the biggest arc of the JMS series, which was Peter and MJ reconciling and maturing in their romantic relationship with each other, basically learning how to balance both of their lives and their aspirations with the needs that the other one had for them. And I say this um, as an MJ fan, this run is considered by most Mary Jane Watson fans to be some of the best material for their relationship and especially for uh, treating MJ with agency and love of any of the comics that had been published to that point and very much since. It was a very successful run. People 
fans loved it. And Mary Jane was probably more popular at this point than she had ever been before. Which made it... Oh, so they... Which, which means that Marvel realized that they had a good thing going. They uh, continued to give a female character great treatment and institutional support. And they didn't screw it up. Right? Well, that's <laughs> definitely something that happened in the M2 universe. <laughs> yeah, so Marvel basically looked at the success this this, this was having and editor-in-chief Joe Casada comes in and wouldn't you know it Joe Casada he would happen to be in the camp with Stan Lee on MJ is the worst character ever and uh the marriage is the worst thing that ever happened and was a big mistake and it should be a priority for us to undo it because even though Spider-Man was selling well even though MJ and uh, Peter's relationship was basically all over uh, media at the time. I mean, the upside down kiss is iconic. Like It is. Even if you didn't grow up with those movies, you know the upside down kiss. Yeah. Uh, apparently none of that was persuasive enough for Casada. So towards the end of the JMS run, which had a few other bumps, um, but... That's story for another time. Toward the end of his run, we need to start laying the groundwork for the end of Peter and Mary Jane's marriage. Because, supposedly, being a high school teacher and being married to a woman that you were high school sweethearts with makes you too old to be relatable, according to the um, middle-aged man that was in charge of Marvel at the time. They, you know, do remember that, like, you know, people clearly were relating to him at the time. Yeah, but Steph, what if we could make more money if we uh, did yes, the opposite uh, of the thing that was making money? Right, right. I forgot about the uh, the infinite stupidity paradigm. Mm-hmm. And I, I do need to to at least put an asterisk here. Steph and I are being facetious a little bit. There obviously were always fans that were never uh, happy with the Peter and MJ romance, you know, regardless. And in fact, it had been a controversial uh, thing for them to go through with the wedding at the time. But I do maintain that by 2006, 2005, 2006, when the groundwork starts to be laid down for this, uh, it basically was such an accepted romance and was such an accepted uh, part of Peter's character at that point. I don't remember it ever even being a question Peter and MJ belong together. I'm not saying this of everyone who doesn't like them together, but a lot of the attitude directed towards it comes from a place of classism, sexism, old-fashioned religious mores about women who have relationships that you don't approve of. The version of Mary Jane hatred I always saw it uh, complains that Mary Jane is not Peter's intellectual equal. That she's not a scientist. She doesn't have a have, I think Peter Peter at various times in the, in the Marvel universe, it depends on who's writing, but he is sometimes considered to be one of the smartest people in the universe. 
which, okay, you can make that argument if you want. That definitely doesn't make him less relatable than being a teacher or a husband. Yeah, and it's like, so, but the argument is that Mary Jane and just being or an ordinary person versus Peter super genius means that she's not worthy of him because her IQ doesn't go to a thousand or whatever arbitrary number they decided IQ IQs can go up to. That takes us into Civil War. So it becomes known, not really among fans, but among those working in the Marvel office that they are going to start laying the groundwork for Peter and MJ to break up because it's making Peter too old to be a teacher and married and that that makes him unrelatable to the new readers that were coming in. You can also throw the blame of at least part of this uh, to the Ultimate Comics line because the Ultimate Comics line did what JMS didn't do with his run, which is just put Peter back in high school with everybody just like they were in the classics. At this time in the uh, J. Michael Straczynski run, Peter was in a good place. He had basically the best uh, relationships with May and uh, Mary Jane that he had ever had uh, to that point. They were all happy together. And not only that, but because they were so insistent on getting Peter out of the classroom for some reason, he got a job working for Tony Stark, which meant, and he was on the Avengers, which is an ongoing thing with Spider-Man. Basically, since 1965, he's been trying to get on the Avengers. He finally made it in the 2000s. So... (laughs) (laughs) And man, it took him like two movies in the, it took him like two movies in the, in the, in the MCU. That's true. He is finally in the Avengers, better support his wife and uh, his aunt, He takes a higher paying job with Tony working in research and development, which, you know, I'm always going to be partial to Peter in the classroom, but if you're going to give him a a high paying job, which again, why would you do that with Spider-Man? I (laughs) again feel the need to point out, they somehow think him being like a, a wealthy guy working in a laboratory is more relatable than a high school teacher. Yeah, they keep doing that. Peter's living basically on Tony's dime, and Civil War happens. Peter is basically this iconic symbol within the Marvel Universe at this point, too. He's beloved, all this stuff. And Tony Stark gets it in his mind that the number one way to counteract rest of the world siding with Captain America, you know, in the favor of civil liberties over Patriot Act, registration is Let's to see, we've say, got a little we've got a little bit of the japanese internment camps and then we're touch. gonna we're gonna like sprinkle some patriot act and some guantanamo bay flavoring on top of it yeah so to to try to counteract the public image catastrophe that is the superhero community tearing each other apart and causing more public damage and more injuries to civilians by fighting each other in the streets. Tony decides that not only does Peter, who's his loyal lapdog at this point, have to uh, register, which he did, because, you know, part of the registration was that 
yes, it was on a record somewhere, but it was super protected, and Tony Stark himself was going to make sure that nobody's identities were to anybody other than S.H.I.E.L.D. and the U.S. government, which of course never leaks. Um, (laughs) So even though that was the case for everybody else, Tony said, you know, everybody knows that you protect your identity more than any other person in the world. And Peter's like, "Uh uh-huh. And Tony says, so think of what a big deal it would be if you publicly revealed yourself to show that you're on my side of this conflict. Actually didn't know that. I thought he, I thought it was like a, you register, you had to go public. I thought nope. that it was registered. Oh, wow. Nope. It was not a requirement to go public. In fact, most of the people that were on Tony's side would not have agreed to it if they had to have been public. Damn. So Tony basically strong arm. And again, keep in mind, Peter is Tony's employee. Peter also works under Tony in the Avengers, which means that his entire, like, both sides of his life, his personal life and his superhero life, he works for Tony. And the high-security apartment and nice living arrangements he's able to give his aunt and his wife, who are the most important people in his world, are arranged for and paid for out of pocket by Tony Stark. So Tony comes Can and tells So coercion. Peter, yes. So Tony basically all the blackmails, he never says that Peter has to do it. He just keeps saying for issue, after issue, after issue, pressuring Peter that This whole Civil War thing will just come to an end if Spider-Man, the moral center... Because, keep in mind, part of what was supposedly making uh, Civil War a conflict was that the two moral centers of the Marvel Universe, Captain America and Spider-Man, were on opposite sides. So if Peter would show how much faith he had in the American government... (laughs) By, uh, by publicly revealing himself to prove that, hey, it's okay to trust your identity to America. Uh, <laughs> uh, because, you know, of course, Peter's never had any bad run-ins with the government before. Uh, of course, never. Uh, he And also the government is cur- is not definitely not currently torturing teenagers. No, 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 not, not. And they definitely didn't commit a genocide on the X-Men just a few years beforehand. I just really feel the need to remind people that in Civil War Young Avengers, they were explicitly torturing children. So... Like, that was explicit and with... Cap- and with... Iron Man's explicit, if or, well, maybe not explicit, but pretty clear knowledge and permission. Peter does this, and he publicly outs himself at the insistence of Tony Stark, does so on camera before millions of eyes, and the biggest secret in Marvel Comics is suddenly public. 
which means also all of the people that Peter has gotten on the wrong side of over the years know who his family members are, know where he lives, because that's public information, and also happen to know that Peter has no way out now. So that puts a target on Peter's back. People start trying to assassinate him. People start going after MJ and May. It becomes a complete and total disaster of epic proportions. And... Surprised Pikachu meme here. And somehow, some way, Tony justifies not having like 24-7 security outside of the building. Anyways, Tony, you're a billionaire. You Can you not afford 24-7 security? So a sniper sets up a shot to kill Mary Jane in their apartment. Fortunately, Peter is there and his spider senses tell him to move her out of the way, which he does. So, you know, he tackles MJ and gets her out of the way. Unfortunately, this means that while Peter and Mary Jane are okay, the bullet that was intended for Peter's wife instead hits his aunt. Uh, May is an old, fragile lady. So even though Peter immediately gets her to an emergency room, even though she's immediately put in surgery, they're just not going to be able to do anything medically for the bullet that is lodged in her heart. She slips into a coma and is not expected to survive. She is an elderly woman. This is a very serious injury that would have pretty much killed her if they'd even waited for an ambulance, but you know, Peter can swing through the city. But here's where the first sign that things are going to get wacky come in. Uh, They decide not to just kill May then and there and have Peter and MJ have to deal with the repercussions of that. Instead, they have her slip into a soap opera coma where it's really bad. She's going to pass away at any moment. But we're just going to keep coming back to her time and time again to talk about how bad it is. And nothing's actually happening. Peter starts trying to use all of his connections. Tony can afford all the best doctors in the world, and he does so, but the best doctors in the world can't do anything. So Peter goes to uh, Reed Richards, who is the smartest man in the world, and Reed Richards can't think of anything, uh, probably because he's too busy running Guantanamo Bay. Um, This was not a kind time for Reed. (laughs) No. And then he goes to... Doctor Strange. And this is where things really start to go off the rails. (laughs) So, Doctor Strange, who, remind you, is both a surgeon and able to warp all of reality with magic, but decides that it is beyond his abilities both as a surgeon and as a magician. So, I just really love that, that it's like, it's like, like, it's a bullet. It's one of those things, like, it's like how, it's like Barbara Gordon's paralysis in the pre-boot. It's like, listen, have we objectively cured worse wounds? 
Yes. Are, it's somehow magically, this one, no, can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's plot armored. This The injury is plot armored. Um, to sort of be like a consolation prize, uh, instead Doctor Strange is like, hey, what if I let you talk to her soul and get her opinion on this? So Peter has a literal heart-to-heart with Aunt May, and Aunt May says, hey, um, Peter, I don't want you to feel bad about this. Listen, don't feel any guilt. I am so glad I got to live such a happy and fulfilling life. I could not be more proud of you. And I know this is tough. It's not the way I would have wanted for our story to come. But I'm ready to meet, I'm, I'm ready to see Uncle Ben again. You know, I miss him. And I feel like it's my time. I'm ready. I'm an old lady. You know, I just want you to move forward and have the best life possible. Peter's response is to say, do you know how hard this is going to be on me? I was already responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Now you want me to be responsible for yours? I can't handle that. Uh, Peter decides instead to steal some magic spells from Doctor Strange without his approval and try them on his own, only for it to backfire and almost kill him. Uh, Classic. Uh, so Dr. Strange is like, obviously you're under duress and a little bit stupid, so I'm just going to (laughs) fix your wounds, which I can't do to your aunt for some reason. A bunch of stuff happens that ties into Civil War, like Peter puts on the black costume again, he joins Captain America's side, it it, it gets a a whole other type of mess. Uh, but... We're going to instead skip straight ahead to One More Day because this retelling's already taken forever. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> so, uh, Peter is depressed, as usual. and I mean, big mood. Big mood. And he's uh, walking to the hospital. Walking instead of using his web, but whatever. Um, so he's on well, his You know, when you're depressed... Uh, he's on his way to the hospital when a little girl, like, with pigtails and everything, like, comes up and is like, hey, I know how to help your aunt. And then runs away. And then Peter's like... And then Peter, like an experienced superhero, says, oh, that's a goddamn trap, and stays away, right? Nope, he follows her. Classic. So, so, uh, Peter then... Uh, follows her into an alley. Oh, it's a good choice. And... Again, and with spider sense, he says, oh, this is a trap, and he stays away, right? No. Um, so, so a woman in red uh, shows up where the girl should have been, and the woman in red is like, hey, look at this, and then like shows him all these alternate timelines, then the lady in red uh, transforms, and shock of all shock, it's not a little girl, it's not a woman in red, uh, it's Mephisto. Uh, the actual devil. Yeah, Marvel's interpretation of the devil, people like to go on and on about whether or not uh, he is the actual Satan, uh, it doesn't matter, it, he, he's the devil, uh, informs Peter that he is the only one in the entire universe, in fact, the entire multiverse, that can save Aunt May. He is like, I can heal Aunt May for you, Peter. 
but you have to give me something in return. And Peter's like, gasp, my soul? My immortal soul. And um, Mephisto is apparently filled up on souls at the moment. Because he's like, nah, dude, not your soul. Your oh, he'll set her for he'll set her for Pe- he'll set her for Peter's firstborn child instead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so he's you're like, right. That is accidental foreshadowing. It is accidental foreshadowing. So the sister's like, nah, son, I wouldn't do that to you. You know, not even your aunt's worth your soul, silly human. Uh, no, I want your marriage. I want you to sell me your marriage to Mary Jane. And Peter's like, I guess, but I do need to talk to my wife about this one. Not about selling my soul, but definitely about selling her marriage. (laughs) So. I just, I just, I'm so bemused by the concept of selling a marriage. It's like, what does this even mean? What does selling a marriage look like? Do you have to hand over the piece of paper? Like, So Peter has until midnight to go inform Mary Jane of this really stupid thing that's happening. And to come to a deal. And Mary Jane says, uh, that's dumb. He's the devil. When have deals with the devil ever worked out well? Your aunt made her final wishes clear. We're going to respect them. Come on and take a nap. Yeah, so that didn't happen. So I keep I keep producing these very reasonable comments, and Marvel keeps choosing violence instead. They spend less time uh, debating this with each other than the previous issue spent in uh, on Peter stealing Doctor Strange Strange's spells, uh, but. Uh, they do come to what was supposedly a very difficult decision and not at all influenced by editorial uh, for Peter and Mary Jane to sell their marriage to the devil. And as that is uh, coming up, MJ walks over to Mephisto and whispers something to him that we don't learn for a long time. Then it's like a it's like a Thanos snap of marriage. The epilogue of this gets super twisted because it's revealed that the little girl that Mephisto had first disguised himself as was actually the future daughter, May, of Peter and MJ, who then uh, her soul completely disappears out of existence because of the decision to no longer be married, which means that Mephisto will never... Like, I guess, uh, I guess Mayday is supposed to be, like, Frodo, and this is the way Mephisto can keep the one ring to rule them all. So. He he does know it is possible to have children outside of the sanctity of marriage, yes? Uh, not in the Marvel Universe, Steph, obviously. I am fairly certain that Danny Cage was very explicitly born before before Luke Cage and Jessica Jones got married. Oh, Steph, but Peter is the pentagon of morality in the Marvel Universe, which means he can't do disgusting, horrible, awful things like sex outside of marriage and uh, Okay, he definitely has done that multiple times. For some reason... Mephisto also erases 
Peter and MJ's memories of being together with each other. Also, so erases, it's not a divorce. It's a co- it's a cosmic retcon, which Marvel supposedly doesn't do. Yeah, it, he also. Uh, it also erases the memories of everybody, the millions of people that now knew who Peter was. Uh, they no longer do. Um, it also means that it means that people who had been dead before and had nothing to do with this storyline or the deal with Mephisto are suddenly alive again, like Harry Osborn. Harry's alive again? Yep. He came back alive because of One More Day. That doesn't even... And that's the end of One More Day, which leads into Brand Brand New Day. Day? And the Dan slot run of Spider-Man that lasted forever. J. Michael Straczynski basically accepted that the marriage retcon was going to happen. So, as a result, he actually, like, drew out, like, this whole map of things that would have been affected by the marriage and things that would have um, set them, like, basically what the ripple effects would have been. Like, the butterfly effect. If we changed this part of history, what other things would have happened in the Spider-Man side of the universe from the past, you know, 30 years as a result? And he was very detailed and very thorough. And his original plans for One More Day was to lay all of this out over a series of issues. Uh, so that it could basically catch fans up to speed of what the alternate timeline that had been created was. Which also meant that it could technically mean that the current timeline could continue on in a different part of the multiverse. Right? Mm-hmm. Basically writing in that they were trading one part of the multiverse for another. Part of it was that they were basically going to go back and undo everything uh, to the point where MJ and Peter got back together and basically put Peter, MJ, and everybody else into where they were before the event that brought Peter and MJ together. Gwen's death. And do the literal... Oh, so Gwen was going to live. Yes, Gwen. so Gwen was going to come back to life, and they were going to reset everything back to the college years. Oh, so that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of functionally what happened in uh, House of M, Peter's fantasy world, because Gwen didn't die, he ended, like, ripple effects out from there, because his biggest regret is not saving Gwen. Yeah, so... So it, it it's kind of like that. I mean, it's still stupid, but it like you know at least kind of logically makes sense. Yeah, in a in a sense. And then we can you know poly ship them or something. I don't know. I could make it. I could have made that work. Yeah, I know. The thing with this, and this was actually the take that they were going to go with for a while, um, but another contingent of people in the editorial offices just flat out you know, fought this to the death. They were like, no, we cannot do this because people like uh, Death of Gwen Stacy storyline way too much. Uh, Trying it from a different angle of, well, what if we tell the writer, the readers, absolutely nothing? (laughs) What if we make it as convoluted 
confusing and just never touch on stuff that the we left as open-ended basically for the next 10 years. And great. That sounds like a great plan. That is the contingent that basically won out. To the point that they basically, uh, Joe Quesada himself, undid all of the last couple of issues that Amazing Spider-Man uh, had had for One More Day by JMS. Basically undid his entire script to the point that when JMS learned this and saw what the other what the new script said he requested take my name off of this I do not want my name on this wait oh my god that explains why I thought this was a Joe Quesada project not him I was just thinking that I'd gotten things confused no 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 Joe Quesada wrote one more day, JMS, basically nothing of his script survived the rewrites. So he asked for his name to be taken off of it. And it was, basically he had the right to have his name removed because they had taken so much out of it. But the editors and Joe Quesada begged him and convinced him to keep his name on it because they said, if you take your name off of these last issues of your run, you are purposefully tanking one more day and trying to make us look bad to the readers. So his name is kept on it. And basically, because his name was on it, fans felt even more betrayed. Because (laughs) even the people who had never been, like, huge on the Peter and MJ uh, dynamic had fallen, like, re-fallen in love with Peter and MJ over the years, thanks to JMS. So his name being on this, and everybody trusting him to be like, well, he wouldn't ruin Peter and Mary Jane. He's JMS. Uh, It caused even a bigger backlash, you could argue. Um, Although I will, I would would argue that it was going to be a a shit show no matter what. So... (laughs) I mean, that it, this is objectively horrible, bad ideas all around. Almost universally panned. Critics hated it. Fans hated it. Uh, people were talking about how it was actually genuinely painful to read. Like, it was like, basically <laughs> and every... this is why I'm glad I got you to tell me about it rather than having to read it. So Tim Marshman of the Wall Street Journal uh, said... Having Spider-Man make a deal with Mephisto is the rough equivalent of having Z-movie director Uwe Ball film a studio-funded prequel to Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. (laughs) And it it wasn't just people who liked Peter and Mary Jane. Keep in mind, uh, they had spent basically the past year justifying... The, the Peter reveal uh, to the public with his identity and the shooting of Aunt May, they kept justifying those creative decisions by promising over and over again, we're not just going to hand wave it away. It's not just going to be a magic wish back to normal. We want this to be a permanent change. We want this to be long lasting. We want this to really shake up the stories we tell with Spider-Man. Like, they said it over and over again. 
So even the fans who weren't upset because they liked Mary Jane and Peter, they were upset because they were like, what was the point of the last five years of comics we've been buying and reading of Spider-Man? If you're going to undo something like this. Um, I, rem- I, I know a lot of people... Well, if we wanted people to just undo things, we'd read DC. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and I remember a lot of people comparing this, basically saying that this was the biggest, like, cheat and slap in the face of an ending to a story since the TV show Dallas, uh, which... Undo- oh, man, that's the one where it's, like, all just a dream, yeah, right? Yeah, or- that's a lot of people were basically saying what we're all thinking, which is, so you thought Peter was too moral to get a divorce because, you know, people with divorces are the most immoral people of all time, apparently. But it was less immoral to have Peter sell his marriage to the devil. (laughs) Also, you know, his unborn child. Yep. Yeah, it's okay if you sell your children's soul to the devil. But you know who was really happy and supportive of this at first? Stanley. Stanley. So, the whole reason I went to the spiel about Stanley's vivid hatred of Mary Jane and the Mary Jane uh, uh, marriage is because he was one of the people that was out in front, like, this is great. And he actually praised it as people being courageous and, uh, like, having the guts to do something different with these characters that have been around for a while. Now, what is funny uh, about that uh, particular reaction from Stan Lee is that um, the Spider-Man newspaper strip... Didn't he backtrack that later? Oh, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> Stan Lee at the time, uh, Def mentioned the newspaper strip. So, the Spider-Man newspaper strip was still going at the time. And it... Jeez, it lasted that long? Yep. So, Stan Lee was still writing it, and he actually made his own One More Day uh, retcon uh, where he also... Uh, had Mary Jane because at that point the co- for synergy reasons uh, the newspaper strip had Peter and MJ uh, married to match up with uh, the current comics so Stan Lee was so excited about finally not having to write Peter and MJ anymore that he did one more day in the comic strip universe and it actually had such a backlash and caused so many people to basically not want to continue the uh, continue the newspaper strip. He had to undo the undoing of their marriage and <laughs> had to do a Dallas where he made it uh, conclude with Peter waking up from a nightmare and still being married to Mary Jane. And that was one more day after it. We got Brand New Day and Dan Slott's run starting with uh, One Moment in Time and just like... And it basically wasn't until recently with the Nick Spencer run, which was uh, very well uh, very well received by fans and critics alike. Yeah, so uh, he's the first person to like address One More Day head on and actually resolved everything. Like, it took from 2007 
all the way to 2020 for us to get a resolution to this thing. And since it is a relatively new comic, uh, and in fact, it only just recently got collected in trade, like the conclusion of the uh, Kindred storyline and Sinister War, um, I'm not going to reveal it, but basically he ties in the randomness of Harry Osborne being resurrected, uh, the selling of the marriage, Peter and MJ's future child, MJ getting her happiness back, Mephisto's bargaining stuff. Uh, it finally all gets connected, and I, I won't say it's satisfying. This was a brutally, horribly received, uh, very distasteful, unfortunate event that readers basically have just been told to deal with for the past uh, over a decade. And I'm not going to act like it's easy to just like move on from that, uh, even if it has a somewhat decent conclusion afterwards. That doesn't make it all good. Like the, a good thing coming out of something doesn't retroactively justify the bad. So yeah, I think we... it's time to move on to the rec section. Yes. My rec this week is a very recent uh, DC graphic novel. Uh, um, one that I... It's a character that I have a huge fondness for. Uh, and this... It doesn't have a lot of relation to her in the comics, which is not too uncommon for some of these DC... Gra with some of the... They've rebranded it, so it's no longer DC Inc. It's DC graphic novels for young adults. I don't get why DC Inc. is way easier. Uh, it's not too uncommon for those... For the characters adaptations to not have too much to do with the actual character, but they're still usually enjoyable stories. Uh, and this one is definitely an instance of that. Um, it is Unearthed, a Jessica Cruz story uh, by Lillian Rivera and Steph C. Uh, it is the story of Jessica Cruz, who in the comics is a Green Lantern with an anxiety disorder, a very severe anxiety disorder. Um, as someone who has been diagnosed with anxiety myself, I've always found Jess's storylines and struggles, have, like I found them really comforting. And seeing this uh, more grounded, realistic, like high school based take on Jessica, dealing not only with like normal generalized anxiety disorder, but also like social issues and peer pressure and xenophobia and her specific fears related to deportation and ICE. I found a really wonderful storyline and the art and the coloring in this story is some of the most beautiful and emotional stuff. It is incredibly accessible. You do not need to know anything about DC Comics, Green Lanterns, Jessica Cruz, anything about DC at all. You can just pick it up and read it as a straightforward story. And I think that is a great recommendation for a DC graphic novel, generally. It's like, you do not need to know anything. You can just pick it up, read it, and enjoy it. And I certainly do. For my recommendation, it's going to be pretty obvious uh, based off of this episode. Um, we gotta wreck a good Spider-Man! I am going to recommend um, a series that... On right there with Peter Parker himself is 
part of the reason I became a comic book reader at all. Um, in uh, 1998, a uh, issue of What If, the ongoing Marvel series that sort of deals with alternate universes, um, number 105, came out with uh, one of the most iconic What If stories of all time, which is uh, the daughter of Spider-Man. What if Peter and Mary Jane had a daughter? And the story was so well received and the character of May Mayday Parker was so instantly beloved by everybody that read it. It ended up getting its own spin-off series and eventually its own spin-off universe of comics as a result. Um, Spider-Girl 1998 to 2006 is that original series. It ran for a hundred issues. And once it was canceled, it wasn't canceled completely. It actually just rebranded to Amazing Spider-Girl and then Spectacular Spider-Girl after that. So Spider-Girl is the story of, like I said, May Mayday Parker. She's the daughter of Peter Parker and Mary Jane, who only in her teenage years began to show the inherited powers she received from her father. Um, at the time, Peter, due to a injury and mysterious circumstances that are only revealed over time, uh, he has actually been retired for most of Mayday's life. And as a result, Mayday had no idea that her dad was Spider-Man until she uh, was basically forced into the family business. Now, Peter is super overprotective. Mary Jane is often acting as the buffer between her very liberated uh, and uh, heroic daughter and her very cautious and overly protective husband. And it's just a super interesting dynamic because Mary Jane and Peter gave birth to a daughter that is kind of the best and worst of both of them. Uh, Mayday is a beautiful girl, super popular and athletic. Uh, she plays basketball for her high school team. Um, and which is obviously very much the way her mother was in high school, but also she's incredibly nerdy. Uh, she loves science and, um, she's very much a tomboy. She likes to rough and rumble. She has a butch style to her, um, and acts very similar to Peter and actually looks a bit more like teenage Peter than she does teenage Mary Jane. And it's this combination that makes her unique uh, as a character to follow because her problems are not the same rehashing of the problems that either of her parents had. She doesn't have, uh, she doesn't have a, um, poverty-stricken lifestyle and abusive background that her mother has because her parents are loving and provide a very uh, comfortable lifestyle for her. And um, she doesn't have, you know, the bullying and general uh, anxiety and uh, self-worth issues that her father had. Instead, what she has is problems that are very unique to what it's like being a teenage girl in a society with lots of expectations for you 
and lots of responsibilities that are thrust upon you. Uh-huh, see, responsibilities. Uh, and it just makes her such a beloved character, basically from the word go. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support our Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash yellowboxespodcast. Or you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I believe Spotify has just rolled out uh, ratings as well. So if you want to leave us one on there, that would be really appreciated. Uh, Those really help us reach more people. You can also subscribe or tell a friend to spread the word. If you've got an episode suggestion, have some questions about making deals with questionable devils, or just really like comics, you can tweet us at at yellowboxespod, or email us at yellowboxespodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Kevin McElroy for the music that serves as our intro and outro. Feeling good. Thanks for listening. like he should have given wakanda at least like a, you know at least a call hey storm remember me uh can you ask your husband if he has any really good medical technology around you guys just got married right you're not too pissed at me that i missed the wedding are you because like we all missed the wedding because civil war it's like yeah, the one but- thing steph remembers from civil war is that storm got mad at everybody for missing her wedding yeah but steph then a, a 2000 spider-man comic would have to have black people in it we can't have that. Ooh. Um, <laughs> that's probably going to have to get cut out. That was a bit much. <laughs> <laughs>